2: Hello and welcome to Political Football, the podcast that digs into the global political stories behind the sport. I'm Jason Cowley, editor of The New Statesman. And I'm John
0: Bew, a contributing writer at The New Statesman. This is a special series devoted to the 2018 World Cup. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be following all the action in Russia as it continues and analysing it with our guests.
2: I'm delighted today that we're joined by our first woman on the podcast. We're joined by Alison McGovern. Hello. The excellent Labour MP, but also renowned podcaster. You're on the Anfield Rap podcast, aren't you?
3: That's right. I have the great joy of sometimes talking about Liverpool Football Club, which is a lot of fun. It's more fun than being on Radio 4, I have to be honest. I
2: can imagine. And Stephen Bush, my co-presenter, is actually in Cornwall. He's gone chasing the sunshine in the southwest. And John, you're on our first programme, so welcome back. I think we'll start, we're going to talk about England. I think we'll talk about Argentina, what's going wrong there. Ali's a big Liverpool fan, so she's going to talk about Mo Salah and the North African clubs and what teams, I should say, rather than clubs, and what's been happening at their World Cup. And I thought we might do a little bit of Balkan politics, Shaka, etc. So, John, England. How's look, it
0: going? They look pretty good. When I say this as a Northern Irishman, so when I watched the Swiss team, I realized that they're the team that beat us in the playoffs just before the tournament. And I think we could have quite happily taken on Brazil um, and then these other teams. So I just wanted to put that in there before, <laughs> uh, before we moved on to England. England should have won these two games. Uh, and in fact, if you look at the level of the teams, they should be winning 6-1. But there's a kind of, a, something's been liberated in the kind of England mentality. They did less, clearly clear less pressure. There's a bit more fluency. I still think there are certain weaknesses if you're being high. Picky, where the back three sometimes give away the ball, but the fluidity, the confidence, and sense of momentum is all quite impressive. And this leads to the dilemmas to what to do in the Belgian game, whether to push through. Uh, beat the Belgians and then uh, a draw gets England through on a, high, on a better disciplinary record um, uh, and actually as, enter as, as group winners as group winners yeah. and and enter a tougher side of the draw. Actually, uh, I suspect the smart move is, is to continue with momentum, play a strong team, keep those players fresh and confident because it's, it, one can be too clever at World Cups.
3: There's a lot of uh, younger players. There's a lot of surprises. Raheem Sterling, you know, somebody who's He's won the Premier League, right? So he's he's not that upset about it, but his career has been a bit up and down and he finally seems to be catching a break. Uh, We've got the... Hasn't
2: scored yet though. He's got a terrible goal scoring record for England.
3: No, but I think think from a point of view of his contribution to the team, I think he's not getting any grief in the way that he has done previously. He had this amazing uh, article on the Players' Tribune where he was able to talk openly and actually really fluently about, about the what murder he'd, of
2: his father about what he'd been through mother, you know yeah.
3: I think everyone was quite surprised by that then there's the surprise of Loftus-Cheek as well like I think one of the things that's been really good about England so far has been it's been, all been a little bit unexpected Gareth Southgate turns out to be a footballing genius who knew I mean that's getting ahead genius of ourselves is bit, that's getting on, ahead on. of ourselves but what I, what I but like about he's no, you're calm right, I mean, he's got calm. it under control yeah. we feel reassured by Gareth yeah. Southgate I don't think I've ever felt so confident in an England manager?
0: A few things to say about the culture around the camp. First of all, noticeably, there's less fuss around the WAGs, so-called. They were spotted in and around the stadium. Also, there's lots of great photos of Harry Kane's family just sitting with the fans. And Southgate said after the game, he let them have a few beers and put the music on. So it's kind of a more relaxed atmosphere. Just one thing I've spotted, for the first time in my memory, every single England player singing the national anthem. And I wonder if Gareth Southgate, who says he's intensely patriotic and has this his grandfather who is a, a, a who's a marine, and I wonder if he's just had a quiet word or just asked a few players why they didn't sing the national anthem. Yeah. It's, it's an odd kind of uh, a moment. I don't know if that tells well, us anything.
3: Well, I think firstly, I mean, on the um, so-called WAG stands for women and girlfriends, right? It's not something even more derogatory than that. But I think you know, women have collectively decided that ain't our role in football anymore, and. The second thing is on patriotism, I think there was a kind of negativity about England and there doesn't need to be, you know, and I think that's what Southgate has... As John says, has has done pretty well. Like so we
2: spoke about this last week. It's the it's the old connotations of the flag, the 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 St. George's flag, the cross, the nineteen seventies when there was a hardcore hooligan faction that followed the England team. What you're seeing, Ali, is a different kind of Englishness represented by Southgate and the team yeah. this time around.
3: I think it's a bunch of people saying, you know what, that's my flag too. You know, I I'm English and I, I'm not a part of that that culture um, that pervaded before this is a new way of being English and we're going to be really proud of it. And I think that's a good thing.
0: There are less fans there, I will say that. So the less England fans who travelled, an estimated uh, basically a, a sixth of what normally travels. And if you look at the Columbia game the other day, they basically filled half the stadium. And if you see the England game, there was pockets of England fans dotted
2: around. I think that I just was the, before the tournament, there was a lot of unease about, of course, the tournament being held in Putin's Russia, You know, this, this rather grim authoritarian state, and also what happened in Marseille during the Euros when the English fans were attacked by supposedly Russian hooligan ultras, but they looked more like paramilitaries. I mean, it looked like as kind of... Who knows... What was the background behind this This attack on England fans? They were meant to be locomotive Moscow ultras, but the way they worked and mobilised, they were stone cold so but they looked like a paramilitary force yeah. hitting who, England fans.
3: Who knows what's really going on? And obviously from the outside, it's impossible to tell what's really going on there. And as John says, we've got fewer people out there and... The consequences of the political situation obviously mean there's, you know, there aren't a lot of dignitaries going either, so it's pretty hard to tell. Also, the politics. and you know, I think we'll probably talk about it, but the politics keeps breaking out despite best efforts to just concentrate on the
2: sport. As Boris Johnson said before the tournament, didn't he? I mean, he's a clownish figure, we know, but before the tournament, he said. Putin would use the World Cup as Hitler used the 1936 Olympics for aggressive displays of nationalism. That hasn't happened, has it?
3: Thankfully not, no. I think the impression you get is more people focused on the sport and the diversity of the sport, but I think it is difficult. I think, you know, whether it's events that are happening on the pitch. We keep seeing these flashes of politics or whether it's the fact that people around the world are like saying, well, hang on, how can we forget about what's going on in Syria? You know, just this week we've had um, hospitals and medical staff attacked again. So I think, honestly, I think that those the, those participating have kind of just got to get through it, hopefully safely and and in a way that demonstrates the best of the sport. And then fingers crossed, FIFA and UEFA move on and realise the error in terms of actually the staging of these games and try and do better in the future.
2: You said in the first podcast, John, that you you in some ways, although you were you were sceptical of um, the Russian state, nevertheless you you embraced Russia as a great
0: football nation. Are we seeing this this embrace working? Look, it's a complex place. Where I mean, England played their last game. Southgate went to the war memorial there. And there's a kind of a more of a sense that, you know, the, the, the Marseille version of Russia abroad, these sort of thuggish hooligans sent, with apparent blessing of the state, is actually different than Russia itself. And you've seen that. The atmosphere seems to be uh, pretty impressive. There seems to be very little trouble. One wonders how that's through sort of robust policing and other and other things. I mean, you've got to say, whatever you think of Putin's state, it actually has been a kind of a, a good World Cup for all the we things should, you want to avoid. We shouldn't,
3: we shouldn't um, fail to differentiate between Putin's, you know, government and the Russian people. I'm quite right. You know, I think that's what I take from this World Cup. I reserve the right to be absolutely critical of what that regime has done, whilst embracing Russian people and their contribution to the world.
0: Agreed. And one good thing is, you—I have—I can barely think of a time where I've seen Putin. Actually, he hasn't been front of piece. So someone maybe out of word. Yeah, he was
2: there so that... at the first Russia match against the Saudis when they thrashed Saudi Arabia five 0 and he was sitting alongside MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, the. Saudi, the young supposed reforming Saudi autocrat, is that is that a is that a oxymoron or mixed mixed metaphor? What is it? Can, uh, can
0: you have Can you be a reforming autocrat? Right? Uh, that's exactly what it is. It's, a, it, it's an enlightened despot. An Enlightened say, <laughs> despot.
2: A contradiction an, in terms. Un, as opposed to an unenlightened despot. And before we leave England, I mean, I really I do like Southgate. I I, I return to him. Every week. And looking at the way people are writing about him now, he's being written about almost as if he's a kind of style icon. You you spoke about him as a genius, others are saying he's I the think, best dressed guy in the I tournament. I think my
3: enthusiasm slightly gets the better of me. Um <laughs> I just think he'd obviously clocked that a lot of what was going on was in the players' heads. I mean, football is a sport best played in the mind, right? It's like they had all of this pressure and no reservoir of confidence to get themselves through it. And I think clearly Southgate has done something up at St George's Park where they've built a level of confidence in each other. They trust the people around the England team. And then Southgate has dealt with the media in frankly, a very savvy way. I mean, we think back to the horror days of, you know, previous managers who were just like all mouth. Southgate seems to be much more focused on delivering and then being calm with the media and saying look this is my plan you know and frankly was quite robust with the media actually about their what they'd done in terms of leaking the team and saying look you can either choose to help us or not well that hit. was good
2: journalistic practice um i mean they just that they, they there was a there was a team sheet, it was photographed, and of course, you know, as an editor in London I would have wanted my reporters to get that out. Wouldn't you, John? Really? Just, I, I would. We're not we you know it's like politicians, Ali, forgive me, but we're not we're not here to cheerlead. You know, we're here to offer um sometimes the Labour Party friendly um but sceptical commentary. Me, me
3: me in uh, me and Gareth Southgate versus the journal's eh, Jason.
2: And John um, Ali used the word plan. I mean, they also looked organised on the pitch. I like I like the way England line up at set pieces. I like the fluidity in the team. It looks like they're well coached.
0: Uh, I think they're well coached. I mean, you English never failed to amaze me. We're, the, the Celtic fringe is supposed to be the sort of hyperactive emotional ones. But when it comes to football, suddenly this narrative starts to creep and you get, you know, even sort of sober sports writers. Uh, writing this morning about this sort of Southgate genius. This, this this bandwagon is emerging. I think what you can give him credit for is precisely that. The team is well-coached. They've been given a kind of an identity, although as we discussed in the first podcast, some of that's slightly accidental, and they fell upon the formation, which is a re-up version of Terry Venable's Christmas tree. Uh, and he has the players for it. He's got younger players, fitter players, than I think in previous World Cups, the side of a kind of an asthmatic and to, and, and uh, uh, you know 50 game 60 game Paul School struggling in the sun I mean I suppose he was my favourite ever player but there's a you know it's, it's a very h- a highly athletic team some of whom haven't played the full season as well and you've got people like Rashford you know Lingard. desperate to get an official Lingard he's hit a
3: vein of form just exactly. at the right time and yeah. f-
0: there's no fitness issues sort of playing you know unfit players all that type of thing so there's an element of luck with that what you can give him credit for and he's been around the FA setup for the last five six years he's actually he's been a disciple for a more sophisticated version of the game at County level at youth level as well. Um, so he he's had an influence on the kind of British English football hierarchy across the yeah, piece. Some of the, gym, young, from some of the center. young players
2: that he he he's nurtured from when he was under twenty one coach Lingard he had he brought Lingard into the squad. Loftus Cheek another you know, one. Yeah, he knows these players. Before we leave, there was that wonderful twenty five pass goal that led to Harry Kane's sixth against Panama. It broke the record of passes, which was held by the Argentinian side in 2006 against Serbia when they beat Serbia 6-0. I was actually at the game in Gelsenkirchen in Germany, Schalke Stadium, when it was like a symphony of collaboration and Cambiasso swept the ball into the goal after a 24 pass move with Raquel May, the Argentinian playmaker, sitting deep and orchestrating the move. England's goal, by by contrast, although it was a wonderful symphony of passing, it ended with an inadvertent back from Harry Kane, which is what I thought was a wonderfully comic moment. Uh, You know, it's a typical England moment. We can't complete a wonderful goal in the way that Argentinian did, but it's optimistic. Let's not get let's not get overexcited.
1: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers.
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. What's
2: going on, John, with Argentina?
0: I mean, they're struggling again, Or they have they have had had a reprieve because of all the results have fallen their way. So, you know, they have they have so a chance to go Tuesday through. They have a, yeah, they have a chance to go through. And I still think they might go through. I mean, I think people get overhyped about the sort of criticism of Messi and the constant comparison with Ronaldo. The team is not built around him. International football is different than La Liga. Um, there's a kind of a lack of fluidity. There's perhaps too many players a little bit similar to Messi in that team. Um, and you see him kind of constantly dropping deep. Um, well,
2: they look I mean, demoralised, John. They do. Look like, it? a team events, Sorry, events,
3: events off the pitch, it's really difficult. I think there is a there is a narrative here of some of the um you know the big teams um, in previous World Cups, you know, look at Germany and others, having underperformed, but like football always does, you know, I think they'll be all right in the end. It's so a bit it's, it's a bit like the Arsenal story, you know, they kind of like have a bit of a crisis. Everything's all a bit difficult, but they kind of make it through because actually there is a lot of quality um, in the Although Argentina Arsenal squad in the end.
2: this
3: season. Yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of teams lower down that would, you know, absolutely crave such a position and the same is true here I think Argentina will probably I think they'll probably get through they've
2: almost got too much talent I mean on the bench against um, the defeats against Croatia the three 0 defeat they had um, Higuain on the bench Di Maria got, from Juventus they've got a
0: similar type of talent which is kind of a diminutive uh, attacker so they're kind of monodimensional when they go forward and it has to be fluent or it's inefficient and also some of the kind of what uh, uh Didier Deschamps describe, was self described as the warder carriers in the team aren't as effective as they used to be, used to be. so Mascherano who has had a dip really yes, in yes, the yes, last yes. few months doesn't look so efficient or, or pacey run on the team they've got getting Rojo on a bit well. he is getting on a bit they've got Rojo my Manchester United fan i think Rojo's a decent centre back but he hasn't barely, he's barely started for United the coach all season
2: and Sampoli Sam is that how you pronounce it who speaks spanish so I would say San Paoli. San Paoli. He, he was the Chilean coach at the last World Cup, this extraordinary high-energy Intensely pressing Chilean side, but that seems to be absent from the Argentinian side. They're not playing like the Chileans played four years ago.
0: Yeah, they've struggled in qualifying as well. So is, these these aren't these these aren't sort of um, you know surprises. They when they really qualified through the back door in the last minute. I think back to the famous Argentine coach Daniel Passarella, yes. if everyone remembers him, yes. who used to make his players cut their hair short because he was kind of a sort of quite militaristic, a, a bit of a dictator and in that team. He was the
2: captain team. of the '78 um, Argentine World Cup winning side as And he refused well. to
0: pick Batistuta and then Batistuta and, and, until Batistuta. To long. cut his hair, yeah. So I wonder if you need a kind of passerella coming back in the team to, to instill a bit of discipline there. But Sam of.
2: Parley, I mean, he looks like a kind of street leader of a street gang, doesn't he? Heavily tattooed, shaven head, black V-neck T-shirt. looks looks quite psychotic on the bench when he gets angry.
3: Yeah, I think possibly that, like, clearly there's a lot of tension. I hadn't really thought about it in those <laughs> terms, Jason, but clearly there's a huge amount of tension. I mean, people were, like, reporting that, like, Uh, Messi's mother had been in floods of tears over it and I think it's obviously for you know many of the um, South American sides this is absolutely everything It was a really interesting conversation about all of the players like speaking out a bit more um, fully and um, I forget which one of the South American kind of players who was commentating was talking talking just about how much pressure there is on players and Argentina was absolutely like that where you know so much hope is invested in their side and clearly when it doesn't go well people understand what is going on back home they understand the ramifications when they get home and I think for Messi you know to imagine being him taking all this pressure he's like the lightning rod and he takes uh,
2: pressure because he leads Barcelona so wonderfully but you know, Ronaldo scored five times at this tournament. Harry Kane has scored five times. Lukaku scored four times. Messi
0: hasn't scored. I think it does matter. To him. He actually is also retired from from international football he on is. more than one occasion. So he's, he he does he does get sort of. So there must you know, be a reason why he exactly. comes, keeps
3: coming back. Yeah, he I must. Mean, he you know. must really want this. It must well, but they
2: say in Argentina to be a true great to stand alongside Pelé or Maradona, you have to almost metaphorically lead your country to a World Cup, you know, as as Maradona did in, in 1986 for Argentina. And Messi hasn't done that. I mean, they, OK, they got to the final four years ago. And he had a very mediocre performance in the final against Germany. But is Ali right? Is the pressure too great on him?
0: Yeah, when you compare that achievement in a much lesser team, Ronaldo at least dragging Portugal to the final of the Euros, even though he came off injured Injured after a few minutes. Um, And he did kind of give them that belief. And so you can say on that metric, I mean, these are absurd comparisons in the sense that you know these two are by far the greatest Ronaldo mess that the world has ever seen Yeah, like <laughs> who
3: decided that that was the test that, that was the test like that That's you have to test, have led yeah. your country to, to a world, world cup, cup. But yeah but clearly for some countries that is the that, that is, is the judgment the and yeah. there is
2: Maradona sitting up in the stands yeah. watching uh, he was like there a for for constant, presence. constant presence constant yeah. presence weeping yeah. at the end of the game as Argentina you've got to say something about Croatia I mean one of my favourite players is Luka Modric even though he's a former Spurs player what a what a player
0: Wonderful football, completely underrated. I think Jamie Redknapp doesn't, doesn't speak a lot of sense, but he did say Modric is the best midfielder at the World Cup. And if you look at Modric and Rakitic in the centre of the Croatian midfield versus the Barcelona-Real Madrid comparison that, that, that Brazil have, so they've got Paulinho and Casemiro sitting there, the Croatia are better for that reason. So technical ability, there's Perisic as well, there's fight and hunger. They're actually fantastic to watch, actually one of my favourite teams. Only second in terms of entertainment value to Colombia. Um, but they, you know, they look actually you love really that. effective. You love
2: that. Colombian win the other night, didn't you, John?
0: It's absolutely brilliant. And the, my favourite sort of screenshot of the World Cup so far is Reni Higuita in the sta- in the stands with Carlos Valderrama, <laughs> and then this this wonderful, you know, busy, self confident Colombian attacking football. So Thought it was absolutely fantastic. And you have players, you know, um, th- in some cases don't rep- impress me that much, like uh, James Rodriguez. Absolutely fantastic, you know, sort of tricks and flicks, all playing out their
3: skin, and the crowd kicking absolutely every ball.
0: Exactly right. And the Colombians seem to take over that stadium. They kind yeah. of won. Wonder- up the local
2: in the stands, like a sort of aged nightclub um, frequenter.
0: It was absolutely brilliant. With, that's his, what, with his long
2: yeah. curly bleached hair, I
0: did feel for Mona. Sort of back in the seventies, I really, I really yeah, enjoyed no, it. No, for one, that they're wonderful reasons. to watch,
2: although they lost their first game, so they're vulnerable.
0: Oh, they're absolutely vulnerable. They're, they're sort of madcap. They're either hundred percent or nothing. I think that's that's the difficulty. But they'd be they'd be kind of dark horses now. They, them Uruguay have also performed well as a, you know another uh, South American team. So um there are you know they're, they're exciting to, that that sort they of They had grit. a
3: slow start though
0: they did have a slow start. Um, I think we're building towards every World Cup has that great European South American yeah. clash, and and you know there are a few potentially on the horizon, possibly England Brazil cool being,
2: or or England Colombia in yeah. the last sixteen. Yeah.
0: It depends how the groups finish.
3: That would be um, a mad game, wouldn't it? Mad game,
0: brilliant.
2: You're 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 a big Liverpool fan, and yeah, you- we
3: were all very excited about the uh, um, Suarez Salah uh, <laughs> kind of, but it didn't really come. What off. happened to
2: Salah this World Cup?
3: So it's difficult, like. I think, obviously, coming out of the um, European Cup final and the absolute tragedy... Um, Movies injury. Yeah, I think that was a really, really difficult backdrop from which to come to the World Cup, even though, actually, it has to be said that, like, I think there was mainly, within that Liverpool side, just a lot of, like, appreciation of the brilliant football. We'd lost Oxlade-Chamberlain, and so we hadn't had the best preparation for the final. So it wasn't really... there was It wasn't really all on Salah but it can't have been easy. I mean, imagine having that happen to you and then knowing that you're going to the World Cup with the hopes of your country on your shoulders, where Egypt has kind of like broken out into this absolute adoration of Mo Salah in a very understandable way. He's a marvellous footballer against a very, very difficult political, economic situation there. And Salah's kind of, Beautiful player, and we've seen flashes of it, but really hasn't materialized. And then he's unfortunately had this slightly difficult political situation. Um, of, what, what is that? So uh, he seems to have the team were based in Grozny, and he seems to have met the um, leader of uh, the Chechnya there, and who's
2: a virulent homophobe. Isn't he? Yeah,
3: and it, you know it's really difficult to be a player. Um, and to understand how you're supposed to respond to such a political situation. There seems to be some debate within the Egypt camp about whose fault it was and whether it was agreed. Meanwhile, you know, I think the rest of the team are not really supporting uh, Salah and I think it's a bit of an impossible situation for him. I think, you know, I sort of thought before the before the World Cup, maybe Egypt uh, possibly... The Iranians might we might see some flashes. I can remember, you know, previously when African teams really broke through into the World Cup for so the So you first were hoping time. maybe
2: a North African side or a Middle Eastern side or indeed um, one of the sub-Saharan African sides. Yeah. Senegal is still playing
3: well. Senegal is playing well. Mane, uh, to talk of another Liverpool uh, player, scored uh, in the one-all draw that they ha- i think you know they're doing okay i think i think the reality is it is difficult as it, as we were saying before i think the politics does keep breaking through despite everybody's attempt to say let's just talk about the football let's just talk about the footballers for Salah, you know he's had this incredible year that hasn't ended very well and you just hope he can go on for the other sides i mean saudi arabia as well have Played fairly well, and they but, beat
2: Egypt. I, yeah. I, I missed the game last night, but they beat Egypt two one. I mean, it, uh, it's, it's been disappointing, particularly for the North African sides.
0: Yeah. Tunisia were poor. It's Morocco
2: not, were better. They they they
0: obviously got Morocco are a decent side. It's not the best Egypt team. Um, there have been better Egyptian teams. They have the best player they've had. You know possibly ever um, but it's not the best Egyptian team in fact if you go back to the first podcast you'll, you'll find I did predict that <laughs> Russia would comfortably beat them and, and they wouldn't go through um, so I'm feeling vindicated on that and there's a lot of pressure on Salah I mean he's still done what he can't didn't play in the first game he has scored a goal I mean yeah. um, what you know you can't really you know, you've got a goal of the game record so um, you know it, it's it's unfair to put too much on Salah in the sense that it's for Messi surrounded by Aguero Mascherano, Di Maria all these other players it's you know there's no Egyptian household names beyond the
2: the great Elneny, as Stephen Bush calls him, the uh, Arsenal midfielder.
0: Yeah, I mean Elneny again has looked a bit he's not the great El that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, I think start Stephen's fresh, being sarcastic.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you talk about politics keep breaking out at this World Cup and this is uh political football after all, and we are the new statesman. I liked the moment in the Swiss Serbia game, two one to Switzerland, when Shaka and Shaqiri... But both familiar from, and you, pr- you smiled then when I pronounced Shakiri, I think correctly, I, at least I hope I did. Tick in the box. Apologies if I didn't. Familiar to us from the Premier League, celebrated their goals, each of them scored a goal, by making the al- sign of an Albanian eagle against Serbia. Which clearly was a gesture to the turbulence of the Balkans, John. What did you What do you think was going on there?
0: Yeah, so they're, they're Kosovar, from Kosovar families, as far as I understand. Oh, yeah. um, and that was a you know kind of probably satisfying moment when they both scored the two goals that, that beat Serbia. Uh, I mean, it's a big debate that they face sort of retrospective punishment in this, and there's a big debate of, as to political symbols and football. I mean, I think it's probably wise to keep those political symbols out of football as much as you possibly can, because then you end up in a kind of a which symbol. Which symbol is virtuous versus which symbol is provocative? And I think of Paul Gascoigne's flute, uh, playing the orange flute to Celtic firm, fans yeah. in the old firm ba- games back in the day. So you know, where do you draw the line? Is the one you know? He had death uh, threats. Uh, he did have ground. death threats thereafter. So I think it's 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 and, it's and sad.
3: Pep Guardiola, you know, the, uh, have, uh, having worn his uh, his his ribbon uh, for Catalonian, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, I I think I think John's probably right. I think my viewpoint would be though sometimes you can't stop it I think exactly. some of those players would say but this is who I am this is everything about me and I can't pretend to not be who I am um I think Guardiola has basically expressed those sen- sentiments and um I think Shakiri also had a, a Kosovo flag on his his boot he was actually right. born in, yeah. in Kosovo yeah his parents were yeah and and whilst. Of, co- of course, I think politics in general, you have to be really c- careful and just focus on the sport. And there, if there is a message from this World Cup, actually, it's about the fact that football is that game, that is the universal language. Everybody can, you know, communicate with each other via it. And I think that's a very positive message. But I think that's got to be matched with a realism about some of these countries are engaged in very difficult political situations. And the idea that we can just ignore that is probably so, not Serbia right. Serbia
2: hasn't... Um Acknowledged, or um, the independent, so-called independence of Kosovo. There's a there's a Serbian enclave within Kosovo. There's still a quite a sizable Serbian population. You, as a historian, John, know well the history of Serbia. A famous battle was fought there in the 14th century. This is, they see this as the Serbs, see This is their kind of ancestral lands. What, what, what the Kosovans would recognise as their own land. So it's 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 very very contentious.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could write a really brilliant history on the you know the 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 breakup of UK, Football history and the breakup of Yugoslavia. You think about the the teams that are, you know the players that come out of that portion of Europe. The technical ability, the flair. And and then you know the identity expressed through football, Croatian national team is a prime example of that. Serbians again, you know the the deep sort of uh, um, uh, schemes of national pride which run through their team and and that sort of self identity. And you know, in some ways, we kind of we regard ourselves as slightly post-nationalist and. And sneering about these things, actually, it's, you know, in, in some cases, actually, quite an impressive, cohesive thing. In other places, it's, it's there are ugly legacies thereof. Unsurprisingly, this is a you know, this is this is more than a kind of minor conflict. This is a you know, deep civil war. in which tens of thousand people died in, in our in our recent memory. So you know, and a,
2: and a diaspora, hence the Kosovans in Switzerland. But also, if you think back to that great red star Belgrade side, which won the old European Cup. Just before the Balkan Wars erupted, that Red Star team had Macedonians in it. Darko Panchev up front. It had Prozaneki, the great, the great Croatian playmaker in the midfield. Savicevic, the Serb. I mean, it was it was a reflection of the old Yugoslavia. Yeah, gone. gone. Yeah. yeah, lost.
3: Yeah, and we're seeing now a new generation of those who were would been small children or the children of um, perhaps. Um, people who were born into a family that had fled and so I think it's really interesting how that's that's being reflected perhaps in not so much of a kind of I think lots of people when they're in that conflict they would maybe want to forget about it but actually some of those next generations are saying okay well I want to express my my identity and I don't want to hide it and I think it is a challenge for football to get some of these debates right I think it's a challenge for um, those who are in the running of the game to say, okay, we we play a sport that's based on national identity. So we are necessarily going to have to deal with these questions. Um, it's going to sound like I'm completely obsessed with Liverpool Football Club, which I am. <laughs> but, um, but our lovely Dayan Lovren uh, yeah. uh, made a documentary a couple of years ago, also part of the brilliant Croatia team, uh, about being a refugee and has like ad- addressed this question of identity in quite a... Um, an intellectual and smart way, but nonetheless felt that he needed to do it. And I think to come back to um, Raheem Sterling, um, Lukaku and the things that they've said about the nature of their identity and having, you know, moved to a particular country, but nonetheless feeling like I absolutely am English, I absolutely am Belgian, um, especially in this context of a World Cup. I think football has to work out how can we be empathetic in people's expression of national identity where otherwise there might be conflict.
2: Okay, Ali, I always ask my guests, and I say as if I've had hundreds of them, but I haven't, this is only the third programme, as to what your tip is for the World Cup. Who's going to win?
3: Um, Okay, well, I would absolutely love it if England won, but I think, I mean, can anyone beat the Belgians?
2: Really? So Belgium is your tip. John, are you staying with France? Yeah, yeah, staying with France. And I'm, as usual, withholding my prediction that's not fair (laughs) so thanks again to Ali for joining us today also thanks to John Bew my co-presenter Stephen Bush who's in Cornwall will be back next week you've been listening to Political Football if you enjoyed the podcast you can leave a review on iTunes and let's see where we are next week thank you